Hi, welcome to the world between us. As you know, this is the podcast that's basically just an excuse for me to talk to interesting people. And today's interesting person is Katie Brown. She's a Scottish designer and researcher based here where I am in Dundee. She initially studied jewelry and metal design and then moved on to her PhD about hearing aids, the technology, the design, the different approaches over time. Um, it has some fascinating insights on, on hearing aids and, and how they've changed and how our perception and approach to them changed over the years. It's it's really fascinating stuff. And I, I recommend you listen to the chat and then follow up on the notes on this episode because there's lots of interesting material, especially about the super normal design part. That's something that was completely new to me, but there's a couple of good anecdotes in this podcast and I would recommend you have a listen. Um, also, we recorded this at a park. Um, so at one point you will hear a plane sound like it's going to land on us. But don't worry, we are all safe. Um, enjoy the conversation. I would say um, I think everyone's different. So it's very important to like note the fact that there's quite a lot of fragmentation when you think of people who maybe are hard of hearing, who've maybe experienced hearing loss versus people who are like deaf with a capital D, so they're culturally deaf um, and sign language is their like, predominant uh, communication method, yeah. um, that we quite often tend to binary that. So we're like hard of hearing people have had loss, um, they've had a certain experience and deaf people have, you know, that's their way of being, that's how they've been born um, in most cases or like since very early childhood. Um, and we tend to kind of binary those off um, and sort of be like, right, okay, deaf people might want this, they might be really proud. Um, people are hard of hearing, you know, stigmas associated with hearing loss and sort of disability culture as we associate it like with the medical model. Yeah. Um, so what I think I found is that there's actually a lot more overlap than you would ever think in right, people's experience. Right. Um, and yeah, I think that it's a lot more nuanced than currently people tend to sort of, yeah, give yeah. people credit for at the yes, moment. Yeah. Um, so I think... Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite hard to find a general consensus because I don't think there's such a thing as like, uh, sure. there's no, like, there's, well, you can have um, like deaf culture with a capital D, yeah. but you don't really have like hard of hearing culture right, in the right, same right, way. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that everyone's kind of, yeah, I don't know. I think there's, I think it's really important to focus on what brings people together rather yeah. than what yeah. actually fragments them. Right. So that's what my research is kind of doing. It's looking at sort of, this messy middle area of people yeah. who are not necessarily really, really proud of their hearing loss right. or really, really stigmatized by it. Uh, it's finding people uh -huh. because most people have a journey. There's an arc. It's not a linear yes. state of being. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, and it's interesting because uh, personally, as someone who doesn't wear hearing aids, I have a very specific image mm -hmm. of a hearing aid in my head. Um, what What is that kind of, uh, what's the, the mainstream, the kind of the main type of design of hearing aid that exists right now is there a the coca-cola of like <laughs> hearing aids kind of thing um there's a really interesting quote that i came across in like the very first few months of my phd and it's by in a book called sound um stories of hearing lost and found by an author bella barthurst okay. it's part of the welcome collection um start publication of books and she describes her hearing aid as hernia gusset beige Okay. And wow. I think that's a really powerful <laughs> description because it's so medical inherently right, and right, right. not in a way where it's kind of like sterile and clean and like sort yeah. of surgical steel. Um, it's very much, yeah, 
beige medical and yeah. it's and when you say that color you know what it is if you say hearing yes. aid beige you yeah. can think of the pantone oh, color absolutely. swatch right yeah. um well, how how was that the thing that came about is that is that sort of blend in with skin I, or yeah. i think so and it's it's interesting because um historically this dates back because um there was in like the I think eight, 1900s, it might actually be earlier than that. Um, but there was two hearing aid manufacturers in the UK um, based in London. Right. One was called FC Rain and Son. Okay. And the other one was Hoxley and Co or Hoxley and Son as well. Yeah. Um, and they both um, had sort of these like brilliant, like extravagant oracles that yeah. you saw that were like made of shell and bone and horn and lots of different materials. Right. But in both of their ranges, they still also had really small ones that had like flesh colored enamel uh -huh. on the outside of them. Right. So it's kind of like a chicken and an egg thing. Like yeah. did the manufacturers create the stigma or did the customers right. ask for something that was uh, sort of designed to be hidden yeah um, it's quite hard to know which one came first from like what i've been researching anyway right. and in mm. um just just from reading some of some of what you've written before there's that kind of avenue of like this has to be hidden and it's a kind of flesh color like you know try not to notice it kind of thing mm -hmm. but then there's also the more like metallic mm -hmm. thing can you tell me a little bit more about that side of it yeah of course so the yeah the other sort of archetype of a hearing aid is the one that's very kind of tech focused right um so the ones that kind of look like you know they remind me of sort of uh 90s sony walkmans almost yes, in their color yeah, and branding yeah, yeah. it's very consumer electronics okay. um and again it's yes yeah, i think I've, I've said before in talks that kind of it hints very sort of gently towards this idea of like a bionic human future yeah, where sort of transhumanist narratives, people uh -huh. who kind of want to yeah, become part man, part machine almost. Yeah. Um, and you can even see that in some recent disability branding. Like if right. you think um, of back to the couple of Paralympics ago, the superhumans yes. campaign, yeah, that's really yeah, yeah. all about kind of, it's not just about um, sort of blending in and being quote unquote normal. Yeah. It's actually about surpassing normal right, and right, right. sort of giving yourself a different ability. Uh -huh. Which is an interesting um, approach to it because it kind of sees. It. I mean, it makes me think of like, what would people respond who have a disability that that is not read as a like superhuman disability? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It kind of it narrows as like disability being accepted as only this kind of thin sliver of like mm -hmm. as long as you can still be in the olympics yeah. <laughs> which is an insane thing um yeah it's still very exclusionary of like a lot of experiences i suppose mm -hmm. definitely i think there's um there's a great quote um my supervisor sort of inspired by um his work um in disability studies for the last sort of god 30 years at least um he has a, a mutual friend um the girl with the purple cane liz jackson right. and she has a really great quote that she said to him um about disabled people like want to oh, i'll try and get the exact quote because yes. this is not i'm going to butcher what the exact quote <laughs> is um but it's about like we want to evolve like unremarkably almost is, is the narrative oh, yeah, yeah so it's not yeah it's like you say it's this this polarization that you see a lot where it's sure. like hidden like yeah. a whisper yes. versus like statement a shout yeah. um but there's at the moment anyway certainly in hearing aid marketing and sort of the designs that we see yeah there doesn't really seem to be much representation of people yeah. um who also want choice to choose as well like what because some days yeah you might feel really proud and some days no you might want to hide it yeah. but where's where's the choice for yeah. people who have those sort of um, interactions in their daily life yeah that's really fascinating mm -hmm. um 
and it's particularly now i don't know if you saw we're recording this when elon musk announced a little brain chip thing. yes i just got that sent to me yesterday yeah in a, in the oral network thing yeah, yeah in a, I, I mean that to me is terrifying yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> not terrifying. just because he's a terrible guy but also like <laughs> just the idea of like people having that much access like mm-hmm. trying to hide it so much that they're inside your brain yeah i don't know anyway this is yeah. for another in, ter- in terms of big data and stuff uh-huh. it really is like in terms of like that's what they say now is like data is the next sort of currency yeah. right right um so like what happens when you yeah let sort of big companies like have access to those Oof. sort of integral bodily functions yeah. almost yeah i'm sure we can trust elon musk seems yeah, like a normal se- guy seems uh, like a great guy <laughs> Can you explain to me a little bit about the social model of disability? Yeah, so um, the for most of like the 19th century, um, 1900s um, onwards, the medical model of disability is like obviously that you kind of have to explain the medical to explain right. the social. I find sure. Um, so the medical model of disability has always kind of seen sort of different labelled people as something to be sort of fixed, to be cured, to be treated. Um, and if all else fails, then hidden, like downplayed. Right, right, right. Um, and everything's very much based on ability. Like yeah. ability is the default. Yeah. Um, but I think, like as humans, you know, the idea of ability seems to be very time-based because right. as we age, ability changes and fluctuates. Of course. But we always see it as this kind of default given yeah. that we all have ability, yeah. um, which isn't really the case when you actually get into it. Sure. Um, and the social model of disability kind of came. I think in like probably the early 80s um, as kind of a reaction against this medical model um, and kind of wanted to reframe the idea of disability as being not an individual problem that needs to be cured or fixed or solved um, but actually the real issue like underlying Uh these like things like access to buildings um, was actually like social society's attitudes towards disability so that's why it's the social model is obviously it's the reaction of it's not us that needs to be fixed like yeah. it's society that needs to change yeah i love mm-hmm. that and i love the the idea i guess you can apply it to so many other political issues mm-hmm. of you know it's about the collective responsibility yeah. of like actually we need to make sure everyone can fit into the society that we've created yeah. as opposed to making a very thin kind of entryway and saying everyone needs to come through this mm-hmm. if they're going to be normal and inverted commas and, and all of that so. exactly and i think design um already has had a kind of response to the social model in yeah. sort of universal design right where the idea is that you design for sort of the worst affected user and then right. there's a trickle down effect uh-huh. and that products become more accessible for all interesting if you're actually designing for like the worst affected end user necessarily yeah yeah mm-hmm. cool that's mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting so you've been you've been exploring a different design approach than the two kind of mainstream Mm -hmm. you know like the kind of flesh colored kind of hearing aids and the the metallic ones Mm -hmm. uh can you tell me a little bit about what what approaches to design you're exploring Mm -hmm. so um i've been looking at supernormal which is kind of like a theory that's not really a theory um (laughs) but it's quite interesting um and i was really lucky um last october i think it was um to spend five days down in jasper morrison's studio in london okay um and jasper morrison and neoto fukasawa are like the the creators or the sort of coiners of this idea of supernormal design um and the idea behind supernormal is that the illustration that I've been trying, I've been trying to work out like a good allegory to tell about this to sure. make people understand it because it's very embedded in objects. Okay. So it's it's something that is very easily explainable in an exhibition context, sure. but very hard to kind of get the 
zeitgeist of what you mean right. um, through sort of language. Yeah. Um, but one of the examples that I would use in my own life is that when you wake up in the morning and uh-huh. you go to get a glass of water, yeah. you quite often pick the most glass-like glass that's kind of perfect for the task. Okay. You don't necessarily go into your cupboard and look at all the mugs and all the glasses you have and uh-huh. pick, you know, the novelty pineapple mug. Right. You right. pick the most glass-like glass of water because yeah. that's the thing that you sort of subconsciously know uh-huh. is the best thing for the task. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what supernormal design is. It's an appreciation of objects that, I think the phrase is past the test of the everyday. Right. So the objects that have longevity that right, aren't kind right. of, I associate often with like fast fashion and things like that right, as well. Right. Things that are kind of fleeting, um, yeah. but don't actually have sort of that nice unity of function and form. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that supernormal objects are things that have been designed so well that they're almost anonymous yes. in their design um but have become kind of part of the everyday like fabric of objects we use yeah can you tell me about the stool story oh of course yes so um the stool story behind supernormal and how it kind of got its name was that um designer naoto fukasawa had created this series of three aluminium stools um and they were on display at the 2005 or 2006 milan furniture fair yeah and when he went to the exhibition, obviously in an exhibition content, people are milling around, things are on plinths. It's yes, very kind yeah. of a, an us and them like viewer dynamic. Yeah. Um, and when he went to see his, his stools, he found that people weren't admiring them, looking at them. <laughs> people were actually sitting on them. They were acting right. as a rest stop for the <laughs> exhibition goers. Yeah. Um, and obviously when, you, when he saw this as a designer, he was a little bit shocked and kind of taken aback by this discovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the same evening, Jasper Morrison called Naoto Fukasawa to congratulate him yeah. on this success um, <laughs> that he'd seen. Um, what their colleague, I think Takeshi, Takashi Okatona, I can't say the name, uh-huh. um, but what their colleague at the time had described as, oh, that's super normal. Like right. this idea that these objects were no longer part of the exhibition. They were right. so comfortable and it looked yeah. so like approachable yeah, that yeah, people yeah. sat on them rather than admired them and it's so interesting to think of what are all the tiny visual clues that people get to decide of whether to look or sit on it. you know yeah. you get all those stories about someone who did an exhibition that was like just stuff on the floor and then a cleaner came up and like put it all in the bin yeah. or you know whatever or someone dropped their glasses and everyone looked at those glasses yeah. as if they were part of the exhibition i think that's fascinating and mm-hmm. and yeah just so interesting i guess that's a big thing of design is to look at the usability of something and trying to make that mm-hmm. something that you don't even think about I yeah suppose. definitely yeah. um and obviously this is like this goes back way before sort of neotificasawa and jasper morrison right, right um there's the book design of everyday things by okay. norman donaldson maybe uh-huh. norman something yeah. um and he speaks a lot about like yeah what makes objects intuitive what yeah. makes them sort of like known like both culturally yeah. and in form and design yeah um but i think they go hand in hand this idea of like culture and design yes um because one of the good examples that i like from the supernormal exhibition because obviously it's uh, a British designer, Jasper Morrison, and a Japanese designer, sure. Naoto Fukasawa. Yeah. In the book, there are soy sauce dispensers included as part of the exhibition. Okay. Which in the UK perhaps wouldn't be super normal. Right. But in Japan, that's something that's entirely oh, super normal. Yeah. So there are sort of cultural connotations of to course. the idea of it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what's your personal connection? Mm-hmm. to 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 this research like what mm-hmm. brought you to it in the first place 
Um, it's funny because I always feel a bit like I've kind of stumbled my way into a PhD, I'll be entirely honest. Um, so I am not a hearing aid wearer myself. Right. Um, but I am someone who's, uh, I've got an invisible disability myself, I'm dyspraxic. Um, so my processing skills um, and some of my fine motor skills are uh-huh. sort of affected by that. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I've always kind of, yeah, I don't really know how I felt about it. Like I only found out a few years ago when I was in my master's degree yeah. um, that I had this. And it was that that kind of made me really interested in invisible disabilities. Right, right. Um, and I did basically for my last project in my master's, my personal project, uh-huh. um, I looked at invisible disabilities specifically and yeah. kind of fell in love with design for disability yeah and also felt like the activist in me like there's yeah. quite like i've been raised quite socialist and my parents <laughs> are very socialist yes um so my political sort of me- like ethos yeah led me um into kind of sort of yeah i've always had a bit of a tone of an activist in me sure so if i feel like something in design's missing or like isn't yeah. getting the proper attention it deserves yeah um that's generally tends to be where i want to hone in on yes. and kind of be like right something something's done here yeah something yeah. needs to be looked at well um, there is a there's a very um i guess politically conscious possibly even socialist perspective to that collective good you know to mm-hmm. society adapting to the to the, the people who need it most and, yeah. mm-hmm. and all of that that's yeah, that's really interesting. And so, the the supernormal design, as applied to hearing aids, what mm-hmm. what does that look like in practice? What what does that translate to? It's interesting. I'm still trying to find that out okay. entirely. So that's definitely where the last year of my PhD is kind of yes. honing in on the practice okay. um, side of it. So, for example, some of the things that I've looked at um, have been very much material based. So it's right. been about exploring materials um, and sort of cultural sort of connotations associated with materials yeah so uh for example for wearers who may still want to hide their hearing aids um i would i think it's important that we still give people choice choice and autonomy are everything i think um in design and i think people still need to yeah be able to say right i want to do this because of this um so one of the materials i was looking at um instead of sort of the beige dyed plastics Uh which are very kind of obviously you know plastic can be dyed any color that's a very conscious choice you've chosen to try and hide it um what if we used more natural materials that aren't um you know trying to be skin like yeah so things like woods and corks um and also i've looked quite a lot at cellulose acetate which is the material that a lot of glasses are made out of i think your glasses sam Ah, are actually probably okay cellulose acetate invaded (laughs) um but your glasses are interested aren't interesting in themselves aren't they because they're clear like so they're kind of uh it's interesting i always think uh fashion is quite cyclical um and another designer andrew cook was kind of speaking to me about this Uh he um runs laughing stock glasses which is a brilliant glasses uh company he set up made out of horn um and he noted the fact that now Uh um in the last like few years clear glasses and really thin wire framed glasses seem to be like the fashion for a while it was the really thick black rimmed ones exactly so it's like it's gone in a kind of reversal cycle hasn't it um so like the thick glasses that you Uh kind of associate with like general eyewear and brands like that um have kind of 
con- come back around to like the clear ones. Interesting. And I always think it's interesting when you see because I even noticed um, a few designers recently have had sort of the skin coloured right. glasses as well, wow. which is interesting. I can't even imagine what that looks like. Yeah, it's That's it's really weird. Like um, Liz Jackson, I think actually in one of her most recent presentations that she did like a TED talk or a TEDx uh-huh. talk, she has got those glasses. Wow. Um, and it's interesting because like obviously with glasses that's now a choice, but with hearing aids that's not really a choice yeah. yet. So yeah. it's not kind of got to that level where they're acceptable and kind of. Well, it's interesting talking about stigma because mm-hmm. glasses serve a very similar purpose to hearing aids. Yeah. You know, like they're both prosthetics, just viewed right. totally culturally differently. Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. What What is the different? I guess. Do more people need glasses? Is that why it's being popularized? What I always think, um, and when I've been looking at sort of reading behind it, I think it's because glasses are inherently linked to literacy and sort of right. there's positive connotations right, around right. glasses yeah. um, uh, in terms of like ableism, like if you have glasses, you can read. Right. Um, and I guess there's um, a kind of cultural image of like if someone in a movie is depicted as being really smart, they're mm-hmm. probably wearing glasses and reading a book. Yep. So it's been associated with maybe a positive stereotype. Exactly. Yeah. And people in the past, um, I think in uh, Irving Goffman's book Stigma, uh-huh. um, he notes that... Um, sort of people used to wear glasses to kind of masquerade so illiterate people used to wear glasses to masquerade and pretend that they could read um whereas you can't really imagine the reverse of that with a hearing aid can you no no but but it also it kind of shows you the power of like culture and storytelling you know Mm -hmm. because if i don't know if movies from now on showed every like bodybuilder wearing a hearing aid Mm -hmm. (laughs) would we in 50 years start associating wearing hearing aids to being super muscular (laughs) like exactly exactly well it's like um i don't know if you remember (laughs) but morrissey i think on top of the pops wore Uh um an electronic sort of hearing aid right um god i can't even remember what year it was but many many years ago if you go on google images you see the great image of morrissey with a body pack hearing aid right um so it's a shame Morrissey is not as, you know, know. he's fallen from grace. <laughs> Another um, totally normal guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, I don't want to promote him. Yeah. Um, but I still like this mess. Um, but it's interesting because he's yeah. kind of, he did that, but it's never it's never sort of caught on sure, in the same way. Sure, yeah. um, and the stuff that you see now with sort of in-ear stuff, like even if you think of like Apple's Air, like AirPods. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of not a million miles away no, from a hearing no, aid, yeah. but it still seems to be very techy. Yes, mm-hmm. and there is definitely the airpods definitely started this um i don't know this it's fashion it's kind of fashionable to like be wearing your airpods like it looks cool Mm -hmm. right you can you you see like people on red carpets or like rappers or whatever wearing like little things and yeah it's god it's so cultural like it's Mm -hmm. it's fascinating because it's not just design it's not just health it's like yeah a whole all these different worlds that come into oh definitely yeah Mm -hmm. fascinating um what if people are listening and don't know much about the subject mm-hmm. and want to kind of dive in and get to know is there anything that you'd recommend like books or videos or podcasts anything mm-hmm. for people to get into it um a really great starting point if you're interested specifically in design um and how it meets disability yeah. would be um my super my phd supervisor graham pullen's book design okay. meets disability right is a great starting point if you're interested in the sort of the two um, and sort of provocations between them. Um, And more recently, um, sort of inspired by his work and also I'd like to think a little bit inspired by my work as well, um, there's a manifesto being published called... um, Supernormal Design for Extraordinary Bodies, okay. um, which I will send you the PDF yeah, of, so please. you can pop that it on the website good. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of a call to arms, basically, for designers cool. um, around these two theories. Um, and obviously, the 
super normal design exhibition that was done in 2006. Yeah. Uh, there's a publication from that called okay. uh, Super Normal Design or Super Normal Sensations of the Ordinary yeah. by Jasper Morrison and Naoto Fukasawa. Okay. And that has the catalogue of all the objects that they've oh, sort of great. deemed yeah. as super normal, um, yeah. as well as some really interesting little stories around why. Um, and it also kind of... It theorises, but doesn't theorise at the same time, but it's looking at where the edges are, yeah. which is really interesting. Because um, objects that we might think are super normal, you know, someone next to you might not. So it's quite, yeah, yeah. quite interesting Well, it's to that see. cultural thing as well, like mm -hmm. the, the different cultures and, and things. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, God, fascinating. Is mm -hmm. there anything before we finish that you're like, I mm -hmm. cannot finish this interview without mentioning this aspect of my research or what we talked about? Um, one thing that I would say that's kind of been unexpected, um, but interesting, and I think um, I skirted around it the first couple of years of the PhD, but I haven't sure. realised how important it was. Um, but with the COVID lockdown and everything that's happened, yeah. um, I feel like a lot of sort of choice and agency has been taken away from people. Right. Or it was certainly at the start of the lockdown, because yeah, um, yeah. it really feels kind of, I don't know how you felt, Sam, but yeah. it feels kind of like, yeah, a lot of your choice was taken away th yes. from you. You had yeah. to like stay in the house. Um, Absolutely. There was a lot of uncertainty around what you could or couldn't do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's made me kind of refocus my lens um, on my whole PhD and, and the next study that I'm doing uh -huh. um, around choice, choice and agency. Right. Um, and yeah, so like I say, it's not about necessarily finding like one archetypal super normal hearing aid yes. or designing that one archetypal like new hearing aid yeah. it's actually about exploring the choice and the boundaries um huh. between those things you can find out more about katie's work on what katie made blog.wordpress.com you can also follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at World Between Pod. We're available in pretty much everywhere that offers podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, and wherever it is that you're listening, please review us. Uh, that's a great way for people to hear about the show and, and, and for word to get out there. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.